Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast from Marketplace Risk. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Meredith Carr, who is chair of the Short-Term Accommodation Association, STAA, and CEO of Under the Doormats. Merrily, welcome. Good afternoon. Um, now, you did a fascinating master's program session for us back um, a few, well, a couple of months ago now, which was around trust in the short-term term accommodation sector. Now, it's probably um, fair to say that the short-term accommodation sector and the home-sharing platform economy around um, you know, short stays and just to sort of create an idea of this world that we're talking about as any sort of accommodation sharing platform, that type of thing has been affected hugely by the uh, by the pandemic. So I, I can imagine that you've had quite a few months of it, and I'd love to hear what's been what's been happening. And and as we come out the other side, and hospitality is starting to reopen, just to hear a bit more about it. So I'm looking forward to to hearing about that. Um, so last time I saw you, beginning of the year, um, we obviously didn't know what was ahead. Um, and so, so what happened and, and how soon into March did you realise this was going to be something quite serious that was happening? Well, I mean, look, uh, to be honest, as an industry, this has rocked our, all of our worlds. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, of course, you know, everyone knew there was something going on in China. Um, then it started to hit Italy. Um, but I think, you know, most of us thought that this was just going to be, you know, maybe something like SARS, where, you know, it affects a couple of countries, um, but not the kind of global pandemic that it's become. Um, you know, I think we were, most of us were at the short stay show, um, which I think was the 11th of March. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was probably one of the last events that, that took place prior to, to the lockdown. Um, and what you could already see there was, you know, some people were starting to get worried, etc. Um, but, you know, I think it really was mid-March when, uh, you know, all the all the kind of dominoes fell and, you know, and, and all of us found ourselves in a world of cancellations and um, vouchers and, and all of the all of the issues that arose as, as, a, as a result of it. And of course, you know, if I think about my own company under the doormat, we had some huge growth plans this year. We'd recently closed a funding round um, and we're also launching Hosperia, which is kind of our B2B model. Um, all of that was, was essentially put on hold. And, you know, we're only now looking at um, the reopening on July 4th. Um, and I think a lot of companies are, are looking at how they can relaunch some of the plans and things that they would have done earlier in the year. Um, so it's been a really tough few months. Mm-hmm. Um, I think depending on which country you're from, obviously there have been different measures uh, and government support. Um, but you know, no matter whether you're a platform, whether you're a property manager, whether you're a supporting service, um, you know, everyone in our industry has been impacted. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're just at the beginning because, of course, what this ultimately means is three low seasons in a row. I mean, we've just, you know, we went through winter, we came out um, and spring was, you know, obviously the, the time when bookings would typically start to, to grow. Um, and summer is when most companies make their money in this sector. Um, and, you know, it's great that we're reopening on the 4th of July. It's great that we have the opportunity to, to, to recover some of the summer. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, overall, I've seen some data from Transparent that even in an optimistic situation for places which are going to be less heavily hit, 
um, they're still looking at between 50 to 70% down on the whole year. Yeah. So that's a pretty monumental impact on the industry. Um, but it's actually in a funny sort of way, not been all bad. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's been great is that some of the um, trends that we, would, we were seeing in the industry have been accelerated. Um, in particular, I think the professionalization of the industry, um, you know, I think whether you're a hotel or you're a short-term accommodation provider or, you know, providing a peer-to-peer accommodation as a host, all of a sudden, consumers actually care about cleanliness in a way that, that they never paid attention in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's forcing a lot of uh, hosts and operators to really think about the service that they're providing in a way that they just might not have in the past. Um, and I think that is something that as an industry will help to build trust over time, but also credibility for our industry that, you know, just like hotels and other accommodation providers, we can provide that high quality experience. Um, and, you know, I think with the fact that by, by its very nature, staying in a home is a lower risk activity than a lot of other accommodation where you have visitors from all over the world and in one building, um, sharing facilities and all these types of things, you know, staying in a home is, is by its nature, you know, you stay with your group that you've booked with and, and that's it. Um, and so I think it's going to probably accelerate the shift of people's preferences to choosing to stay in homes. Um, And so I think, you know, while it's a tough period, I think there's some absolutely incredible opportunities for us as an industry coming out the other side. And when you think back to these, um, these conversations you would have had at the beginning of March, you talked about a particular event you were at. Do you think that, I mean, obviously, for most people, well, for everyone, really, this is unprecedented what's happened. But do you think that between the businesses around you that you were talking to then, that some of them had better preparation for what was about to occur than others? And and if so, how, I mean, what type of business models were more set up to, to deal with this type of thing? Was there any way that you can be prepared for something like this? And who have you seen prevail and, and maybe be stronger in in um, in the light of what's happened well I think that that's a really good question and I think ultimately one of the things that is important from a business model point of view is what your structure looks like and how you mitigate risk so I think you know as the crisis was starting to unfold um, one of the things that I recognized was that Anyone who was working in a master lease model or who had guaranteed rent to the owner of a property would be in a really difficult situation. Because, of course, if all of a sudden you've got your bookings dropping off a cliff and you've still got to pay the owner of the property a fixed amount um, for for that lease, um, then obviously that would be a very difficult situation. Um, versus, you know, companies where um, the risk is shared. So, you know... Um, under the doormat, for example, has a business model where the owners um, provide the availability and we give them a fixed amount of earnings for every night they have a stay. Um, but we don't guarantee that they will have a booking. So, you know, it's obviously mm. in their interest and in ours to maximize bookings. But in a period like this, obviously our earnings dropped, but equally, um, you know, we didn't have a high overhead or, or a guaranteed rent. Um, that we promised that we weren't able to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that's that's actually true even in the hotel world where 
you know, they're looking at uh, moving to more management models and kind of uh, variable cost structures because, you know, the, the REITs and those kind of master lease models, um, of course, have been heavily hit. Um, and of course, in our sector, there were two companies that, that were most prominent with that master lease model. One of them was Stay Alfred. Um, who has actually gone under on, in, in this period. Um, and the other is Sonder, who actually has just raised, um, I, I think, $150 million or something like that. And, and they're saying that they will raise a total of $200 million, actually at a slightly higher valuation, I think $1.3 million versus $1.1 that they've done at their last round. Wow. So, you know, clearly um, their investors have doubled down. Um, I mean, I absolutely congratulate them on achieving that raise. Um Give, especially given the, the business model that they work to. Uh, but I think they've obviously done quite a lot of renegotiation uh, with their leaseholders um, in order to make sure that they did have a model that could withstand the risk of these, um, these types of shocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, that's a choice that operators and, and people in the industry need to make um, around who ultimately holds that asset risk. Um, because I think that's pretty fundamental to the ability to, to withstand these types of um, situations. And do you think some people will be changing the, their model going forward, having, having seen what can happen, having seen a crisis like this take place? Do you think that, um, that some people will be um, taking steps to, to prevent this kind of thing protecting, uh, affecting their business uh, in the future? It, it, because obviously... You know, once something like this happens, it, it opens our eyes to the fact that it could happen again. Oh, absolutely. And like I say, I mean, Saunders very clearly stated that they, you know, they've been uh, putting different clauses and renegotiating leases. Um, so clearly they recognize mm-hmm. the need for that. Um, I think more broadly, as I said, the hotel industry is doing that. Um, so we're not talking just our sector, but more broadly, um, anyone who's in the travel business who who provides accommodation and has asset risk is re-looking at how that asset risk is, is shared mm-hmm. um, across the whole supply chain. So um, I don't think that's actually unique to our industry. No. I think in many ways our industry is better protected because in most cases um, our industry is set up that, that the asset risk is, is held with the asset owner. Um, so most of the operators, most of the people in our industry work on a kind of asset light model um, and therefore would have been sheltered from, from that risk. Um, if you're obviously a service department company um, or things like that where leases are more common, um, you know, I think we, we will see some um, companies going under, leases being handed back. Um, and I think indeed landlords or, you know, people who entered the short-term rental market as a host um, and may have had a handful of properties that they were kind of managing commercially, I think in some cases um, at that level, we will see them moving back into um, sometimes the traditional long-let market where they have a more guaranteed rental income. Mm-hmm. And indeed, you know, Sonder has talked about how they have uh, pivoted their portfolio and they are doing more long-term lets as well. Um and equally, you know, at Under the Doormat, we're now on Zoopla. Um, we're doing kind of a more focus on midterm lets to complement the short-term lets. Um, and so I think a lot of that balancing of, of short-term versus midterm versus long-term um, is happening to ensure that, that the levels of income will be able to come in despite the uncertainty that we, we will see ahead. You talked about some of the positives there that have come out of this. I think it's very interesting. And... Um, 
I've been thinking quite a lot about some of the positive trends that I've seen in the sharing economy in general and the gig economy. And I've, I've sort of pinpointed three, I think, really, that the sort of interest maybe in local community has, you know, because obviously people are supporting each other in there during the lockdown, a kind of interest in technology. Obviously, we've got people using, you know, Zoom and maybe apps, um, local apps for deliveries and things that they might not have before and maybe a renewed interest um, or more of an interest in sustainability issues we've all seen how emissions have gone down and you know read these stories about you know fish returning to rivers that haven't before it things like that so maybe people understanding that you know actually if we make changes then we will see the results of those changes quite quite quickly and and that we should all be living a different kind of life can you see how any of those general trends in the sharing and gig economy have actually played a part in um, the short-term accommodation sector does any do any of those resonate with you in terms of, of where we can see things moving forward oh i mean absolutely i think one of the things that for me was really inspiring about this period um, was that you know within a matter of weeks of of the um of the lockdown i mean end of march um we launched nhs homes um, and more than 30 companies across the UK joined together to offer uh, homes to NHS workers for free. Um, so we had a clear pledge and, you know, some guidelines around how it would work. Uh, and we were able to offer more than 2,500 homes across all four of the, of the UK nations um, and, you know, provide more than £17 million worth of accommodation to NHS workers. Um which I think is an absolutely incredible feat. Mm -hmm. um, and I think both with governments as well as local communities, it was an incredible opportunity for people to see that our sector is a part of the communities we operate in um, and that people can trust us to be doing the right things. Um, and I think, you know, that really showed the sector in a very good light. Um, but I also think, you know, it brought together the sector in a very collaborative way. Um, you know, I mean, companies that would normally compete with each other were working alongside each other to provide this service to NHS workers. Um, and we were all learning together, working together. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, our hope is that that program is something that can become sustainable. We're now working with government um, and the Crown Commercial Service to try and, um, and get on the government procurement schemes so that in the future, the industry can offer accommodation in the time of any crisis. So it might be a future wave of COVID or other things. Um, and that, that, you know, all of the operators in the sector who are accredited and who meet the government standards um, will be able to offer their, their services to a whole segment of the market um, that traditionally was, was only represented by hotels. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the some types of platform or some types of technology and apps were, were things that people held at, at arm's length and maybe saw them to be more about you know profit or gain or something not to be trusted but now actually there's been a shift and I've seen this with some of the peer-to-peer -peer car sharing platforms who have been offering out the cars to key workers and and they've seen um, people coming forward and, and using their services for the first time because they've had the opportunity to, to show people that they are part of the community and they're not, you know, maybe not, not suspicious, not some sort of Silicon Valley strange thing that they, you know, that there's something that um, people can use and it's actually a benefit to the, to the community. 
So um, it's almost like we've had, you know, had the chance to sort of step forward and show our true colours, which has always been, I think, the case in the background. And these opportunities, um, I think, will will change people's perspective. And, and that can't really be undone, can it? And it can only be a benefit. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was incredible to see how much coverage we got, you know, from BBC, Sky News, The Times, The Guardian. I mean, you name it. Everybody was covering it. And, you know, I think uh, as an industry, of course, there there are always challenges that you overcome as a new industry grows and disrupts things of the past. Um, and often, um, you know, our industry and, and you know, let, let's say um, the kind of Airbnb bashing that mm-hmm. the press would, would often uh, in, undertake, um, you know, this was an opportunity for people to recognize, A, that the sector is much bigger than one individual company. Um, and I think that's important because yeah, when yeah. they start to recognize that it is actual local people, hosts in their community and, and all of these things and not just some big American um, tech company that they don't know and understand, um, I think that brings home the benefits that, that the industry provides to communities and individuals. Um, but I think what it also does is shows that our, it is an industry with a heart. Um, and, you know, it, at its core, our industry always has been. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the sharing economy and, and that ability to, to open up your home to a stranger and have them come and stay uh, is the foundation of what our industry is. And, you know, I think the, the crisis is, is bringing that back into the fore. Um, and I think that that overall is a really good thing that, that people recognize the, the value that the sector brings, but also that it is a part of every community um, where there's someone welcoming people into their home. Yeah. Um, so I think that's great. And, yeah. and on your second bit around technology, um, you know, I think like everything, there is an acceleration of that technology also in our sector. Um, and, you know, whether that is the ability to do remote check-ins, um, you know, other things like that, absolutely. Um, and I think the other thing that's important is um, that all of a sudden, this piece around standards has just become more important. Mm-hmm. Um, so Visit Britain has just launched their Good to Go scheme um, and the Short-Term Accommodation Association guidelines that we work together with government on. Um, are part of that scheme so that people can, you know, kind of go and, and, and declare that they are following those standards um, and get the good to go kind of symbol to say that, that they're ready to host people. Um, but more importantly, I think one of the things that we did as an industry a couple of years ago, um, which has now become even more important, is that we worked with quality and tourism to build accreditation. Um, and I think you know, the, the idea in the past that guest reviews were were good enough that consumers could trust them and, and, and that works. Um, I don't think that that's been lost completely, but I think people are looking for something different and they want to know that an independent party has actually assessed it and checked that it's done. Um, and, you know, having worked with Quality and Tourism now for a number of years, we were able to very quickly update that so that, you know, any company who gets accredited also is accredited for the cleaning standards, which uh, which we've you know signed off with government, and it helps companies to know how they can implement them in the best possible way. Because at the end, they're guidelines, so it's it's great to have a you know a ten page document to get your head round. 
but you know, having a company that's able to help you understand for your business, for your customers, how to make that real um, and what choices to make um, to ensure that you are um, delivering what customers are expecting in this new world, um, I think is a, is a massive advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that already up and running so that people can get accredited now as we speak, they don't need to wait three months until the program has been developed, um, I think is critical to not just companies being able to, to, to get that, but also to consumers that they know that there are operators and hosts that they can, that they can book with and have the confidence that they really need. Uh, because I think reassurance of consumers is going to be the most important thing to this sector recovering. Mm-hmm. So you, you've talked about these cleaning protocols and obviously these are UK-wide industry um, yep. c- protocols. Some of the people listening um, to the podcast will be in, in different countries and I wondered how what the UK are doing and what you've been involved in with this implementation, how it compares uh, to, uh, to other countries. What insights have you, you gained by looking around and, and who do you see sort of doing it well, not doing it at all? What, what else is happening out there? Well, I mean, look, VRMA obviously has their cleaning standards, which are very similar. So, I mean, as an industry, I think we work very well together uh, across the world. Um, the World uh, Travel Council has also published their guidelines, which are a bit higher level. So it doesn't give you the detail of how to implement it, uh, but gives that high level. And, and the UK standards are aligned to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think overall, you know, you've got the World Travel Council ones, you've got um, in particularly North America, you've got the VRMA standards, Um, the EHHA has signed up to um, the WTC standards, so so that's aligned, and then of course each country will have their own rules and regulations and things um, that they need to get government approval for, so in any country you're always going to need a more detailed version which aligns with the the higher level ones on a global basis. Um, but I think that that's happened in a relatively good way uh, across the industry. So, you know, hopefully for most people in the industry, it's pretty obvious where the, you know, where the guidelines would come from, depending on your geography, um, and that you can have that confidence that those guidelines are aligned with what's happening globally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's first and foremost. And I think secondly, um, you know, there are some great initiatives happening. I mean, I've been working um, with the guys in, in the U.S. Um, who are, um, you know, who, who, are, who are trying to, to make rent responsibly um, a, a big campaign. Um, so I don't know if you know Dave Krauss, but, but those guys have been um, working in, in North America particularly. Um, and at the moment, we're talking with them about how the accreditation and the approach that we've done here in the UK could be transplanted to the US mm-hmm. um, and, and implemented very quickly. Um, given that it's something that we've already got two years of experience about. So I think the next level of opportunities are taking some of the best practice that we've got in different countries. And in many cases, the UK has been a bit ahead of the curve, A, because it's one of the more mature markets for our industry. Um, Two, there are many players who have headquarters in the UK when they operate across Europe and, and, and elsewhere. Um, and thirdly, because um, it's it's still a relatively small and consolidated market that you know most of the regulations and things are national, which has allowed us to take a single approach across an entire country. 
Um, and so that makes it much easier to come up with a single standard to learn from that and then obviously share that with, with other places. And our view at, sh at the Short-Term Accommodation Association is that anything that we are doing, we absolutely want people to copy and steal it. It's not there. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. there to be used and, and for other people to benefit from yeah. because, you know, the whole point of this is to make sure that wherever possible, we don't start and reinvent the wheel in lots of different places, but we can share and collaborate and as an industry come out stronger as a result. Yeah, and I think by its nature, the, the sharing economy is, is, a, is a collaborative space. And I, I see this knowledge sharing happening all the time. And, and that's just, that's, it's kind of the way, way everyone operates, isn't it? It's quite refreshing. I was going to ask you to finish up really with talking about future trends in travel in general as well as just in short-term accommodation I've been talking to quite a few people in this space about the way we're all going to spend our holidays in the in the UK specifically I think and what trends might emerge and it was interesting what you said earlier in our conversation about homestays allowing people to travel in a in a smaller group and obviously people are now used to almost counting the amount of people in their group because of the phases of, of lockdown easing and the amount of people you're allowed to socialize with. I've also been talking to people about the potential recession and maybe people getting involved in things like home swapping or, or pet sitting, maybe um, camper van hire, these types of maybe lower budget type of staycations. Have you heard or thought about any particular trends that have, um, that have been of interest to you about how we might be all holidaying come 2021? Well, I mean, look, I think 2020 is certainly the year of the staycation. Um, you know, th things like uh, the quarantine period, um, you know, we all await the announcement of, of travel corridors and all these things. But, you know, people want to know that their plans are going to be certain. And so once the 4th of July um, was announced, um, companies like Sykes Cottages um, saw record numbers of bookings um, in a single day. Um, and I think that's because once people realized they were allowed to travel, um, then they wanted to book close to home, but they're also wanting to escape their home. I mean, let's remember, mm -hmm. we've all been stuck in our yes. house. Um, and so I think everyone is really keen to get out, to go see something different, um, to have a bit of a change of scenery, even if that doesn't mean the international holidays you mm -hmm. might have normally done. Um, so I think for 2020, that's absolutely going to be the focus. Um, I think what's interesting is that people's uh, inclination when they think of a staycation is to go to the beach or to go to the countryside. Um, I think one of the things that, that some people um, have yet to cotton on to is that it's absolutely the best time to visit cities as well. Um, because, you know, you've got cities like London where Westminster Council is actually closing off roads and turning it into a kind of a European cafe culture uh, with, you know, tables out in the streets and all these types of things. Um, and so very quickly we're seeing planning regulations change um, and elements of, of the kind of culture um, get opened up that, mm -hmm. that probably wouldn't have otherwise done. Um, you know, museums are finding innovative ways to offer different exhibitions and all kinds of things. And guess what? At the same time, there aren't international visitors to a city like London. So it's much so quieter, I suppose, it's isn't so it? so yeah. quiet. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, having been on public transport myself, I mean, to be honest, there were two other people in the entire tube carriage. So going to the supermarket was uh, a far more dangerous experience than, than going on, on public transport. So 
I think there are, there's some massive opportunities for people to take advantage of this year, to explore places they, they otherwise might not have gotten to. Um, and I think, you know, when we get to 2021 um, and people are starting to think ahead, you know, when I think, you know, hopefully treatment, potentially the vaccine, all these things are in place. I think then, you know, people will have been saving up and hopefully booking those international trips again. So I really do think that, um, you know, this will be the year of staycation. Um, but I think we will see a return to that sense of adventure um, and that desire to get out and explore a little bit more um, when we look ahead to 2021. But I suppose in the meantime, people are maybe trying new things and, you know, enjoying new things, which, you know, will, will always be the case. And it might mean that, um, that everyone has, um, you know, a, a renewed sense of options when it comes to, to travel rather than, you know, because I think one of the things is we're, we're breaking habits we've all had for a long time. Yep. I mean, everyone's sort of saying, you know, the, the different things you've, you've done in lockdown and trying new things. And, and I, I think that mind broadening is, is going to be with us for a long time. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and to be honest, I think the key big trend that we will see is that people will try staying in homes, even for business travel and for other types of travel, where in the past they would have always stayed in a hotel. Um, and I think, you know, that is a longer term trend, which I think we're likely to see not just in the short term, but in the medium to long term as well. Thank you, Marilee. It's been really interesting. I've talked for much longer and we must talk again in six months and see um, if, if some of the things we've talked about have, have come true. And, and um, good luck with um, with everything and um, look forward to, to catching up again soon. Thanks so much. It's been wonderful to have a chat and, you know, hopefully we've got some positive news and, and positive momentum as the sector begins to reopen. Definitely. Thank you.